cash. How do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. Chad Graff here, and uh, it's good to be back. Uh, a big thank you to Arif and Shield for holding down the fort while I was away. Um, and I guess also just to start, a huge thank you to so, so many of you who reached out in a variety of different ways in the last month um, after everything that happened with my wife and I and, and losing our daughter Anna at 13 days old. It meant so much uh, because of how many of you reached out and, and offered your support. Uh, but I'm back to work now, which is a useful distraction from everything that's going on. So uh, let's get right to it. The NFL draft is a few days away, and it's an especially important one for the Vikings, who are sort of straddling this weird sort of half rebuild, half path to the Super Bowl plan. Um, they've got two first round picks, five picks in the first three rounds. And because of that, I'm super excited to welcome an awesome guest to today's show. He's got an amazing backstory. He writes a draft guide that's bigger than Harry Potter books. And I'd argue he knows more about the prospects. Your favorite team will draft better than anyone in the industry. So Dane Brugler, thank you for making the time in what I can only imagine is your busiest week of the year. No, of course. This is it's a lot of fun. Um, and so I appreciate you having me on, talking about these guys, talking about um, you know where they could end up, and it's just, there's going to be a lot of conjecture this week, a lot of you know what we think might happen. But this year, more than usual, is going to be unpredictable. And I'll be honest with you, I have no problem with that. You know, I know I'm supposed to be the you know the, the guy that tells you what exactly where uh, these players are going to go and who, who's going to draft who, but. I have no problem with it being an unpredictable draft because that means it's fun. And that's that's what we're all here for. That's great. I, I do want to learn a little bit more about you because I think you've got an incredible backstory. How in the world did you get into the scouting business? Uh, it, it's always been my passion. Um, you know, When I was 13 years old and living in Northeast Ohio and the Browns came back to the league, I was just became enamored with uh, the process. They were the expansion team, had the number one pick. You know, it's like Tim Couch or Ricky Williams or Donovan McNabb. You know, which direction would they go? And loved the possibilities of, you know, just pouring over these options and what made a good college player into a good NFL player or vice versa or, or you know, the other way, uh, uh, you know, not uh, panning out as a pro player. And so, you know, it became a hobby that I just said, you know what, I, there's nothing else I want to do with my with my career. And so I was able to go to Mount Union College where I was part of the football team. And Pierre Garcon and I were both seniors. And that opened up a lot of uh, doors for me when we had scouts coming through. And, you know, I would take them around campus, take them to practice. And that started my networking and started my informal education to uh, scouting and evaluation and, you know, understanding how to break down the game, understanding certain traits. And so um, I've had a lot of, I've been blessed where I've had a lot of help along the way, people putting putting me under their wing and, um, you know, teaching me, showing me the ropes, different things like that, attending pro days and um, spending a lot of time with NFL evaluators. And so um, I, I, you know, I always wanted to be part of an NFL team, but then I got in on the media side and I've really enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So, um, you know, that's just the, you know, if you want to be a, a doctor, you go to medical school, you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school. If you want to be uh, involved in scouting, you just kind of have to make your own way. And I've been very blessed that a lot of people have helped me along the way to kind of achieve that. What's the scouting report or what was the scouting report on Dane Brugler as a football player? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I haven't played, I, I, I never remember. I didn't even play in high school. I, you know, I, I was, 
I, I was a big oh, baseball guy. That was when my you said thing. you were I, a senior with Pierre Garcon. I thought you met on the team. Oh no, sorry. Yo, no, I, I actually worked for the team. Um, gotcha. I, I, yeah, I, I was a big baseball guy and went to Mount Union to, as a uh, sport management uh, major. And uh, that my goal was because you know scouting was obviously my goal, but I was, did a lot of sports PR and did a lot of jobs like that before I made this kind of my full time gig. Uh, but I worked for the football team, uh, doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And so that's when we had scouts come, come through, you know, throughout the course of that senior season, uh, that was what, 2007. So throughout the course of that season, we had probably, I think 25 NFL teams come through Alliance, uh, to look at Pierre. And so had a, had a great chance to meet with a lot of them and, you know, show them around and, you know, pick their brains. And I'm still, still have close relationships with a lot of those guys now. You mentioned that the original goal was to work for an NFL team. I know you've had offers to be a scout and work within NFL mm-hmm. teams. And don't take this the wrong way because we are thrilled to have you at The Athletic. <laughs> your seven-round mock draft and your beast, as it's called, more than 250,000 words, are by far the most popular uh, two stories that we've had in the last month. So thank you for all of that. <laughs> uh, with that being said, why still do it on the media side and not the uh, NFL team side? Um, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, my, my first, um, you know, I, I've flirted with it a lot of years. Um, you know, my, my first uh, interview with the team came, my, I graduated my senior year at Mount and, uh, Reggie McKenzie with the Packers called me and said they wanted to bring me to Green Bay for an interview. And, uh, that was when John Dorsey was still there. Um, you know, I developed a great relationship with John, John Schneider was still there, uh, Ted Thompson. So a lot of future GMs. And so that was a great opportunity. I I actually didn't get that job, but then when John Dorsey became GM of the chiefs, uh, he called me and, um, you know, I went there and they actually offered me a job. But that that summer, uh, my my firstborn was was due, and you know, it's something where uh, it just you know, family kind of took over, and uh, being on the road, uh, you know, two hundred days out of the year is something that is tough, and so I kind of decided to stay on the media side for now until the the perfect opportunity came around, and so far that perfect opportunity hasn't uh, presented itself. So um, you know, I enjoy the being on the outside like this because I'm I'm not tied down to one team you know I get to talk to 32 teams I get to uh, evaluate all these players I don't have to worry about a player not fitting a scheme or fitting the culture I I get to evaluate all these guys and kind of break them down so I find a lot of fun in that and you know I don't I don't write the you know what the future is going to be a couple years from now I you know things could change but I definitely enjoy what I'm doing now with the athletic We'll definitely jump right into the Vikings pretty soon because they've got four sort of big areas of need and a couple first-round picks, and and I think it'll be fascinating to follow. But I am very curious, what does your sort of year look like? When do you start scouting these players? What is your scouting setup? Do you watch at home? Do you go to games? What do you do uh, throughout the whole year, I guess? Uh, it usually starts around June 1st. Um, uh, spend the month of May trying to, uh, you know, uh, look at what happened. And, uh, you know, the month of May is when I really take an inventory of everything that played out in the draft. Um, you know, look back, self evaluate what, and it, you know, I, not necessarily where guys are picked because that doesn't tell me anything. If, if I have a third round grade on a player and he's drafting the fifth round, I didn't miss on him. That just means that there's a difference of opinion. Now, three years from now, if that uh, guy that uh, went in the third round that I had a fifth round grade on, if he plays like a third rounder or better, 
that's where I need to learn and get better and understand, okay, what did I miss? And so the self-evaluation process is big for me, just in it, as it should be for every evaluator, um, because it tells you, you know, you need to evolve just like the game is, uh, evolve as a, as an evaluator and as a scout to, to what you're seeing. Um, and so, uh, June 1st is really when I get started pouring over these seniors, spending the summer, um, setting the groundwork for what the season's going to look like. And then in season, it's a lot of tape. Um, you know, I, I, I do go to a few games, but for the most part, I, I work out of my office and I'm working the phones, talking with players, talking with uh, scouts, uh, waiting for the, you know, I anticipating when that tape's going to come in because I, I couldn't do this job without the college tape. Uh, and that's kind of the, the life, uh, you know, the lifeblood of, of what I do. Uh, it's it's uh, really important. And so I just have to kind of wait because it's, uh, it's something that's not re- readily accessible. And so um, whenever that tape comes in is when I can really ramp up the coverage and that starts in the fall. And so um, it's, it's definitely a process that takes year round. And, um, you know, I, it, it's a strain on, on, you know, family life at times and things like that, but I, it's the only way I know how to do this job. And so I try to do it to the best I can. You mentioned the self-assessment. Is there a player of the last five or 10 years that you now look back and think to yourself, man, I can't believe I was that high on that player or how did I miss that player? Yeah. And I think it, Usually it comes down to quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I feel, um, you know, I've had a lot of hits in my in my time, you know. And I loved Antonio Brown coming out of Central Michigan. Or, you know, I, there's been a lot of those. But also on the other side where maybe, uh, you know, I, I thought Brady Quinn was going to be a steady starter for a lot of years. Um, you know, I, I thought he was a steal where he ended up going in the uh, back half around one to the Browns. And obviously that never happened. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a great example of a player who I underrated. And that's that, that I think Patrick Mahomes is a great example of why you need to keep an open mind, um, you know, because we hadn't seen anybody like a Patrick Mahomes before. Uh, you know, you watch his tape at Texas Tech and it's like you're watching backyard football and you think <laughs> well, there's no way this is going to translate. You know, he's he's his technique is off. He's throwing off his back foot. He's uh, you know, throwing these prayers and, you know, in, in that Texas Tech offense, that was okay. But when you go to the NFL, when defenses are smarter, they're faster, um, you just think that, that doubt creeps into your mind that that would work. But, uh, you know, he not only goes to a great situation in Kansas City where he can sit and he goes to an offense with the play caller that understands what he does. Um, so, you know, situation and fit are a big part of that. But it's also where I think, um, you know, those of us on the outside are a little bit of a disadvantage because we didn't get a chance to sit down with Mahomes and understand, okay, where is he mentally in his development? Can he read coverages? Uh, does he understand uh, protections? Does he, you know, what what is the defense showing him? What is he digesting? And how, how does that uh, change his thought process? You know, things like that where you can get a little bit of that from tape, uh, but not a ton of it in the Big 12 especially, and not a ton <laughs> of it in that Texas Tech offense. So it, it could be tough uh, when you, when you tr- try to translate these guys to the next level. Yeah, fair enough. You weren't the only one who underestimated him. Yeah. Let's turn now to the Vikings. Uh, They've got five picks in the first three rounds. They've got four major holes on the roster, cornerback, wide receiver, offensive line, and defensive tackle. So let's break down those positions since we have Dane with us. Uh, And Dane, let's start with wide receiver, which I think is, you know, an especially deep class, something just about everybody knows or at least argues. Um, And because of that, there's an argument that the Vikings should wait on wide receiver and address other areas of need first. And the idea being, you know, there will still be good wide receivers left in the 
uh, third round or, or fourth round, perhaps, or, or maybe even on day three. Um, but well, can you tell us a little bit about some of the options that might be waiting for the Vikings at wide receiver, perhaps in the first round? And then what if they wait beyond the first round and, and try to address wide receiver in, say, the third round? Yeah, and I think that's uh, that is exactly what teams are are wrestling with uh, because we're going to see six, maybe even seven offensive tackles go in the first round, top forty picks. Uh, we're going to see a run on corners. Uh, quarterbacks are obviously going to go in the first. So you know it, how that affects this receiver class, where you feel good about your options in round two, round three, round four. Um, you know you don't have to use a first round pick, but. These guys that are going to go in the first are going that high for a reason because they're you know, the most talented uh, receivers in this class. And so it's going to be awfully appealing, especially when you look at the Vikings with two first round picks. They might look at that and say, you know, we feel comfortable going receiver here because we can still get a tackle or a corner or whatever other position they want to go with. Um, and with this receiver class, it's going to be interesting to see the order they come off the board. Uh, you know, Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, a lot of people expect that to be the first three off the board. But uh, after that, you know, Justin Jefferson from LSU, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, Denzel Mims from Baylor. Um, I, there's uh, some merit to each one of those guys in terms of being the fourth receiver drafted or maybe even higher, depending on, you know, I, I think we, we become so conditioned that there's the top three that we don't realize. Uh, and I say we just as a collective, all of us, um, that some teams will have they'll really like Lamb and really like Judy, and then they'll have Denzel Mims as their third best receiver. So it's not just the big three for every team. Um, and so with the Vikings sitting there at, what, 22 and 25, um, you know, there's a few landmines in front of them. Uh, Philadelphia, especially at 21, who uh, have their eyes on a few of these receivers, whether that's Mims or Jefferson or Ayuk and, um, you know, the the, Vi- or the, the Raiders at 19. Uh, if they go corner at 12, they could absolutely go receiver at 19. So it'll be interesting to see which receivers are left for the Vikings uh, at 22. And then if they would go with a different position there and get the receiver at 25. Uh, the, the, the receiver I just keep coming back to for uh, for the Vikings, Denzel Mims. I, I think he would be a great fit with uh, what they can do. And he's just a long rangey player, um, uh, 6'3", just under 210 pounds. He's a 4'3 athlete, ran you know, literally the best three-cone drill at the Combine. Um, needs to be a little bit better of a finisher, but there's all the traits are there for him to be a big-time impact receiver. So I think Denzel Mims, uh, if he's available, for the Vikings at 22. To me, I think that'd just be a great fit and a very realistic option. It is interesting to think about just the other teams that have needs similar to the Vikings and something, of course, Rick Spielman will have to do. And, and that's always fun to sort of revisit. I, I keep coming back to a story from a couple years ago, three years ago, when the Vikings drafted Dalvin Cook. They had to trade ahead of the Eagles because they knew that the Eagles loved Dalvin Cook and were about to take Dalvin Cook. And, and so sometimes you might have to trade up to get the guy you want. Uh, Dan, what about corner? I, I would argue that the Vikings, that's probably their biggest need after Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander, and Trey Waynes all left. Uh, but, you know, when, it, when I look at your beast, you've only got two corners that have true first round grades and then a couple others who have first, second round grades. Um, yeah, I think that one of those two players is Trayvon Diggs, which I think might be awkward for the Vikings for a number of right. reasons after just trading Stefan. So what is your breakdown of 
where things stand with the cornerback position. And as you mentioned, uh, the possibility that there could be a run on them, maybe even before the Vikings pick. Yeah, and I think that we're going to see these corners go off pretty quickly, like uh, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. I've got a second-round grade on him, but there are several teams that believe he's going to go in the top 20 picks. Um, you know, I, you look at the Falcons sitting there at 16, the Cowboys at 17, the the uh, Raiders at 19. I I would, if, if, I, if I'm a betting man, I, I don't think A.J. Terrell is getting out of the top 19 picks. Um, hmm. And that's, you're talking about a guy that's, uh, what six one, 195 pounds, ran a four four two at the combine. Um, his tape is up and down. Uh, you know, we, I think we, our lasting image of him is from the national title game when Jamar Chase uh, just uh, burned him up and down the field. But still, he's got a lot of traits that translate, and he has some good tape uh, on his on his resume. So AJ Terrell is going to be off the board pretty quickly. Uh, Jalen Johnson from Utah, I've got a second round grade on him, but uh, could easily see him going in the first. Uh, there's there's nothing like overly extraordinary about Jalen Johnson. Average size, six foot, 195 pounds, uh, good athlete, not a great athlete. He's, he's a four five zero guy uh, in the forty. Uh, and he watches tape and you see that, um, you know, he's a little over aggressive at times, but that's, you know, you'd rather your corner be over aggressive than under aggressive. Uh, but he's a guy that has instincts. He has awareness. Um, I think the, one of the selling points is the fact that he can play inside, can play outside, can play man, can play zone, can play off. Uh, there's a lot to like about uh, Jalen Johnson being scheme versatile and coming in from day one. He's already has that professional attitude to him, carries himself well, so he'll fit into a, an NFL locker room. And so there was some selling, some selling traits, uh, traits to to teams that could uh, make him go in the top 25. So yeah, this is an interesting group of corners where Okuda is going to be off the board quickly. I think CJ Henderson will be off the board quickly. And I think AJ Terrell will be off the board quickly. And then Jalen Johnson could sneak into that first round. Uh, Christian Fulton from LSU could. Uh, Jeff Gladney, uh, you know, I, I think I'm higher on him than more than most. Uh, he's also dealing with a knee uh, issue right now. So I think he's going to provide excellent value on day two. But uh, yeah, this cornerback group, receiver is the strongest position in this draft. No, no question about it. I think corner is number two uh, in terms of quality talent in the first round, but then also depth in, in each round of the draft. That's good for the Vikings who badly need both corners and wide receivers. Uh, they also need a few other positions that we mentioned, offensive line and defensive tackle. So let's move to offensive line. They do have some options where their holes right now are at guard. However, they could draft an offensive tackle and perhaps slide left tackle Riley Reef into guard. So uh, when I look at your NFL draft guide and, you know, just from looking at others, there are essentially four offensive tackles who seem to be head and shoulders above the rest. And if one of those somehow falls to the Vikings, that feels like a no brainer. But assuming those top four guys are gone when the Vikings are on the clock, who are some players that the Vikings might target on the offensive line? Yeah, there's kind of that big four, uh, which is you know, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, Andrew Thomas, who should be off the board somewhere in the top 14 picks. Uh, but then you have the kind of that next big four, uh, and then there's a big drop-off. Um, so, you know, that next big four would be Josh Jones out of Houston, Austin Jackson, USC, Ezra Cleveland, Boise State, and then Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. And with each one of these guys... Um, you know, there's there's a reason why they're being talked about as possible first rounders. Uh, Josh Jones, he's the only 
of these eight tackles that we just mentioned, he's the only senior of the group. Uh, so he's the most experienced. Hmm. He's a four-year starter, uh, left tackle at Houston. Um, now he's he's a guy that's a little bit of a late bloomer. And I think a big reason for that is he had five different offensive line coaches at Houston. And so that really kind of screwed up with his development. And that that's a, part of the reason why he really came on as a senior. Um, and so there's a lot of ability with Josh Jones. Austin Jackson, he's literally the youngest player in this draft. And with that it comes some mistakes and some hiccups. And uh, you're you're banking more on his potential, more so than what he's going to give you right now as a player. Ezra Cleveland uh, at a Boise State, he would not be surprising if he snuck into the top 20 picks um, because of uh, a lot of teams really like what he has to offer. Uh, 6'6", 3'10", a really good athlete. And he, he's got some savviness to him. He's, he's more of that, you know, he's not Joe Thomas. I'm not saying he's that. But he's uh, that style where he's a little undersized, but he understands the technique of the position. He moves really well. I wish he had a better anchor. But Ezra Cleveland is a is a name that a lot of teams are interested in. I don't I don't think he's going to get it out of the top twenty, top twenty five. So I think he's on the radar uh, for the Vikings. And there's Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, who is one of the younger players, redshirt sophomore, huge, six six and a half, three fifty, um, and a, a guy that played only right tackle uh, for Georgia. And uh, there's there's some things there that he needs to work through. I don't know that he's necessarily. Uh, pro ready to start from day one but another guy with a huge ceiling uh, with a little bit of development so this draft class is at tackle is super strong in the first round but then there's there's a drop off and so it's just a very top heavy position and that's why I've had the Vikings going tackle in uh, some of my mock drafts because if you don't get your tackle early in the first round it you need a little bit of luck to land one of the few options later who project as having a shot. And they didn't have that luck two years ago when they were hoping to draft one. Uh, I do think when you mentioned Cleveland uh, and you mentioned the athleticism, I can't help but think that is exactly what the Vikings are looking for, given uh, Gary Kubiak's zone rushing system and, and the fact that they want offensive linemen who can really move. Now, moving over to the defensive line, you've got two defensive tackles, Derek Brown and Javen Kinlaw, as for sure first-round picks. If neither of those are available, is there an argument in your mind for picking, you know, any of the next tier defensive tackles where the Vikings have picks in at 22 and 25? Or, you know, if you're the Vikings, do you think they probably look more at wide receiver, cornerback, offensive line, just because there seem to be two defensive tackles that are head and shoulders above the rest? Yeah, and I think we're going to see you know, Derek Brown's going to be off the board pretty quickly. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, it might come down to the medicals. Um, you know, he could slip maybe a little bit uh, because his uh, his uh, scouting report based more on potential uh, and him being healthy than anything else. And that's something that maybe not every team is going to see that the same way. Uh, but then there are some of these defensive linemen are, are worthy of consideration that late first. I think Marlon Davidson from, from Auburn, some view him as a jumbo defensive end. Some see him as more of that natural three technique that the interior disruptor. Um, he's a team first guy. You just tell him where to play. He's going to go out there and give you 100%. And so Marlon Davidson... Uh, is going to be an appealing player in the back half of round one. And then Ross Blacklock out of TCU, uh, he's your he's more of your three technique, 6'3", 290. Um, you know, he, this past year was his, really the, 
good to see him back on the field after missing all of 2018 due to injury. Um, and he, you could tell when he's on the field when he's not. Uh, you don't need to know his number. He, he was a guy that was a home wrecker in the backfield um, and just a guy that needed a lot of double teams to slow him down. Uh, there's a lot to like about about him as uh, a guy that's not played his best football yet, who looks the part, plays the part, and is still you know still figuring things out. And he's going to get better and better with more action. So Ross Blacklock, I know, has a few first round grades around the league. So those would be the two defensive tackles in the late first that could possibly make some uh, make some sense that the Vikings wanted to go in that direction. Before we wrap up with Dane Brewer, Dan, I got a couple more to throw your way, uh, including the fact that there are two Minnesota Gophers who could potentially be day two picks, which is not something we've seen in recent years. So I want to get your thoughts on Winfield and Johnson, obviously uh, different players, different positions, but what what is your breakdown of uh, the potential and, and where things could go for both Winfield and Tyler Johnson? Well, Winfield is, he's tough because the size, and it's the same thing as his dad. You know, it's uh, undersized, but they just make plays. Uh, You know, Antoine Winfield Sr., one of the best tackling corners we've ever seen at the NFL level. Um, And, you know, he was a big-time pro for a long time. Made, I think, three Pro Bowls, and, uh, you know, I don't don't have to sell Vikings fans on that. Uh, (laughs) But with... uh, with Junior, it's the same deal, uh, but he plays a different position at safety. And so uh, you do worry about the 5'9". You worry about the 30-inch arms. And that shows up on tape where he's just unable to uh, get around a receiver who's just obviously has the size advantage. He's not able to get his arms around to knock down a pass. He's not able to uh, out-jump uh, the receiver who is able to high point over him. So Antoine Winfield is going to he's going to make plays because he's a ball hawk. He has the instincts that you want. Love the speed. Uh, love the toughness. Just the way he carries himself. I think his best position might be as like a nickel intent, instead of just being that single high. I think he as a as a nickel player that might be where he fits best. Uh, but then, uh, you know, he's also going to give up some plays because of the size disadvantage. And so you have to be okay with that. And so that's why I think somewhere on day two, uh, likely round two is where a team's going to, uh, take the chance. And, you know, I think they're going to be, they're going to be happy with the player they're getting, the person they're getting. Um, it's just, you know, hopefully you can keep the, the big plays to a minimum. Um, and then Tyler Johnson, He's tougher to peg. Uh, you know, I think he probably go, doesn't go until the fourth or fifth round. Um, you know, there's he put together such an impressive career uh, in, in not just in college but in high school in the in the Minneapolis area, right? That he just he was a guy that's a homegrown guy, uh, a guy that uh, came up and you know had some opportunities to go elsewhere. He went. He stayed home and is part of a Minnesota program that. Uh, you know, was is really on the upswing, and so it, he's been a big part of of that of that area for a long time. And I think when you project him to the next level, some things check out. You know, he, he has decent size. Um, you know, I think something that's working against him is. The fact that he didn't uh, work out at an all-star game. He decided not to uh, work out at the Shrine game. He decided or to play at the Shrine game. He decided not to work out at the Combine, uh, kind of putting all his eggs in one basket for the Pro Day. And obviously that didn't happen. So <laughs> it's something where he's a little bit of a disadvantage there. Uh, now he has a production, has plenty of tape, but we don't have, you know, what's his 40-yard dash? What's his other workout numbers? That's something that will bother some teams. And in a receiver draft like this, Tyler Johnson might be, uh, you know, say he's graded very similar to three other receivers. 
teams might take the guy that ran a 4-4 at the combine or you know who they saw at the senior bowl or you know whatever so that could be the tiebreaker for some teams and so because of that Tyler Johnson yeah, uh, he might not go until the fourth or fifth round, uh, but still, a, a guy that uh, you think can round out a receiver depth chart, even if he's a fourth or fifth receiver to start, you see him as a guy that's going to at least push the guys in front of him to see playing time. Yeah, certainly an intriguing day three option for the Vikings if he's there for them. Uh, Dane may be the busiest guy in sports media right now. This is one of 15 interviews that he has today, so we'll let you go after one final question. Who has been your favorite prospect to study in this draft class? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I've got a few. Uh, Logan Wilson from Wyoming, uh, linebacker, is a guy that I don't think gets talked about enough. He's awesome. Uh, high school corner who moved a linebacker. And he was a four-year starter, three-year team captain, had over 400 tackles at Wyoming. He might be the best tackler in this draft. Uh, so he's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think a team's going to get a, a great value with him on day three or on uh, in round three. Um, Amik Roberts in the corner from Louisiana Tech is, you know, looks, doesn't look like much, but he is feisty. He is tough, does not let receivers get comfortable. He, he is a, a joy to watch. Really enjoyed watching him. Trail Burgess from Utah is another one. Um, who is a first-year starter as a senior, uh, really understands the spacing relationships and coverage. And so he's kind of your ideal nickelback. I think a team's going to get great value with him somewhere in the third round. And then among the, the top guys, um, you know, besides you know Chase Young, obviously Joe Burrow, those guys are just a joy to watch. But Jedrick Wills from Alabama, he's a top five player in the draft, in my opinion. And I don't know if he's going to, he might go four, he might go 14. Uh, but hmm. I, if I'm going to bet on any one of these offensive tackles, it's going to be Jedrick Wills. Uh, power, I, I think he moves well. He's got the a huge wingspan. Uh, there's just a lot about Wills that I think projects the next level and projects as an impact starter. That's Dane Brugler. Read his work on The Athletic. You can subscribe for 40% off at theathletic.com slash straight cash. Thank you to Dane for joining the show, and, and thank you uh, for listening to the Straight Cash podcast. <laughs> 